for you when the world stopped turning on that September day. Were you out in the yard with your wife and children or working on some stage in L.A.? Did you stand there in shock at the sight of that black smoke rising against that blue sky? Did you shout out in anger or fear for your neighbor? Or did you just sit down and cry? Did you weep for the children who lost their dear loved ones? Pray for the ones who don't know. Did you rejoice for the people who walked from the rubble and sigh for the ones left below? Did you burst out with pride in the red, white, and blue? And the heroes who died just doing what they do? Did you look up to heaven for some kind of answer and look to yourself and what really matters? I'm just a singer of simple songs. I'm not a real political man. I watch CNN, but I don't sure I can tell you the difference in Iraq and Iran. But I know Jesus and I talk to God, and I remember this from when I was young. Faith, hope, and love are some good things he gave us, but the greatest is love. So where were you when the world stopped turning that September day? We remember the ballad by Hall of Fame country music artist Alan Jackson and how he captured some of the thoughts and feelings that many of us were experiencing at that time. I know for myself, I was studying to be a pastor at Concordia Seminary in St. Louis. I was in a pastoral counseling class. Uh, someone came in and informed the professor, rolled the TV in, and we watched this horror unfold before us. And at the time, we weren't sure whether this was just some sort of an accident or whether it was something intentional. And of course, as the day would unfold, we'd realize what the intention was, who was behind it, and what our response would be. That's so common to some of the tragedies that we encounter in life. We wanna know who's responsible. We wanna know why this happened, and we wanna know who's going to do something about it. Fast forward, <laughs> almost two decades to 18 months ago or so, we're in a different kind of tragedy, a different kind of situation, but we know that there's this virus that came from somewhere else. We don't know exactly how it started, but we know that it's different than just perhaps the regular flu, and it's impacting people differently, and it's certainly spreading, so much so that we actually had to work from home, so much so that we had to keep our children from attending classes at school. And we even stopped worship for a while, or we changed the venue of worship from being in person to online, like so many congregations did. I can remember being in meetings with staff at my previous congregation, and we said, well, if everybody hunkers down for two weeks, maybe we'll get back together for worship on Easter Sunday, and won't that be great? 
It's difficult, isn't it? Knowing how to respond, understanding what's happening, and trying to figure out what to do next. We even experienced that today. We're still reeling from wildfires out west, from damage from Hurricane Ida down south, and also still mourning from the loss of men and women of our armed forces in the military withdrawal from Afghanistan. And on a weekend like this, where we're watching football games, seeing the national anthem outside with hands over our hearts and seeing that flag waving back and forth in the beautiful bright blue sky over mid-Michigan, we wonder, is all of this real? Is all of this happening? Did this really happen? And why can't everybody, every place be experiencing what we're experiencing now? Or celebrating Autofest. So many people from out of town, from other places, coming and celebrating their vehicles, cruising up and down Main Street, showcasing the work that they have done and all the time, energy, and resources they've placed into these beautiful machines. Special thanks to Mr. Zender for his hot rod out front. Um, it's, it's a nice one. It's a nice one, yeah. I actually got to cruise downtown Main Street last night in my minivan, had the windows rolled down. <laughs> Had my elbow out the side. It's not the same. It's not the same. But here we are, relatively safe and sound. And when tragedies strike us, strike our nation, strike our families, strike the way of life that we have, sometimes it is hard to know what to do, how to feel how to respond. Can we trust what we see in the news anymore? Do our families and friends have all their facts right? What will other people think if I share how I really feel about what is going on right now, about what's going on in the world? Sometimes I feel helpless, and sometimes it doesn't seem like much when all I can say is, you know what, I'm just gonna pray. I'm gonna pray for you. And by God's grace, maybe he'll work it out. Thanks be to God that we have an encouraging word from him and specifically from his prophet Isaiah. Isaiah was God's prophet living and working in the last half of the 7th century BC. Isaiah, whose name literally means Yahweh is deliverance, that is the Lord God is deliverance, was God's chosen instrument to present a message of salvation to his people, the Israelites, using soaring language unforgettable imagery and also supreme artistry. So much so that it's still used in Christian songs and hymnody, in liturgy and worship and Christian devotional materials today. Also, Jesus was very fond of Isaiah quoting him, perhaps more than any other prophet of the Old Testament. And it's in Isaiah 40 through 55, that is chapters 40 through 55, that the prophet declares the Lord's plan to forgive Israel's sin of idolatry that led them to be exiles in Babylon and prepare for their return back to Jerusalem. In Isaiah 50, the scriptures that Tom shared with us just earlier in worship today, Isaiah 50 is the third of four servant songs. Servant songs that will point us to the person and work of Jesus Christ when he comes as the Messiah, 
bringing God's reign and rule of justice to the world. Let's pick up with verse 4 from chapter 50. I'm going to read this to you and then we're going to comment on it as we go about the sermon this morning. The sovereign Lord has given me a well-instructed tongue to know the word that sustains the weary. He wakens me morning by morning. The sovereign Lord wakens my ear to listen like one being instructed. The sovereign Lord has opened my ears. I have not been rebellious. I have not turned away. You know, it's interesting. I've got a family of seven, my wife and myself and five of our children. And as they age, it's interesting that the ears don't work the way they used to. It's like they don't receive the instruction of their parents. They, in fact, sometimes even turn away from a question or a request. Not sure if that's just in our household or if you have similar experience. But not this suffering servant of the Lord in Isaiah 50. This servant listens. And who does he listen to? The word of the Lord. And why can this servant offer a word of encouragement? Number one, because he listens to the word of the Lord. The word of God. It's interesting, so many times we encounter other people and instead of listening to them, truly listening to them, we think about what we might say next. Instead of seeking to understand what they're thinking or how they're feeling, so many times we already know what we want to say and as soon as they get done speaking because we're polite people, then I'm going to jump all over them with this nugget of wisdom or this gem of truth or this morsel of morality that they just need to have in their lives. I'm not sure if any of you struggle with that or not. But to listen first before speaking is a very healthy discipline. And especially to listen to the word of God and have him inform our speaking is even better. All right, the servant continues in Isaiah 50. I offered my back to those who beat me, my cheeks to those who pulled out my beard. I did not hide my face from mocking and spitting. This is not a pleasant proposition at all. A back laid bare for beating and blows. A, a face with cheeks lifted up so that others could grab onto the whiskers of the beer and yank them out. Painful, yes. Adding insult to injury at this particular time and place in the local culture. To have someone's beard plucked out wasn't just meant to hurt you but also harm your reputation. And then a face not hidden but revealed for others to mock you with their words, to spit upon you with their saliva and snot, and even to punch you with clenched fists in the face. Not a pleasant proposition whatsoever. And this suffering servant in Isaiah 50 starts pointing us even further to not only the person and work of Jesus Christ, but to his passion as he prepares for the cross of Calvary. And we see the servant not despise his suffering, but actually lean into it, endure it, and then learn from it. Why does the servant have an encouraging word for the weary? Reason number two, because he learns from his struggles and suffering. Moving on in Isaiah 50, because the sovereign Lord helps me, I will not be disgraced. Therefore, I have set my face like flint 
and I know I will not be put to shame. He who vindicates me is near. Flint, that word, harkens a different image in a particular city to our minds here in the Great Lakes Bay region. But for this scriptural purpose, this is an expression of absolute fortitude, of resolute determination to set your face like a hard stone in one direction, meaning that you are going to do this, meaning you're going to focus on this, meaning that there's nothing that's going to sway you from your course of action, to set your face like a flint. Here the prophet uses the same language that was used back in the wilderness wanderings of the Israelites when Moses would tap on that flint, tap on that stone, and water would burst forth and provide refreshment for the Israelites during their journey. And as an expression here in Isaiah 50, it refers to fierce determination and fortitude. Luke 9:51 says this, at that time, when that time had approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. In other words, Jesus would set his face like a flint to Jerusalem. It was his divine destiny. The true son of man, the true son of God, this suffering servant must do the will of his heavenly father to seek and to save the lost. And that means going to Jerusalem. That means being betrayed. That means being beaten. That means opening up his face to those who would mock him, for those who would spit upon him, for those who would punch him, for those who would whip him, and for those who would nail his body to an instrument of torture designed to execute criminals. This is Jesus doing what he does so that he could be our savior from sin, so that he could provide a way forward and so he could give us a preferred future with his heavenly father in a place free from sin, free from sorrow, free from suffering, in a place where God says he'll wipe every tear from our eyes and he will be our God and we will be his people. This is why Jesus, this suffering servant, is setting his face like a flint with absolute determination and with ferocious fortitude to seek and to save the lost, to love and forgive you and me and to provide a place for us in eternity. Why is this servant so confident and hopeful? First, he listens to the word of God. Second, he learns from his struggles and suffering. Third, he trusts in his God for deliverance. Friends, what is true of this suffering servant is much like what is true for you and for me. Friends, our Lord is encouraging us to listen to him, to listen to his word before we speak a word to others, to not just despise our suffering, but to lean into it and learn from it perhaps because there's lessons along the way for us and ultimately to place our hope and trust in him for deliverance. And as we do this, Jesus not only provides us understanding for what we are enduring or faith to withstand what's happening to us, Jesus also provides us a way to minister to others in their times of need and offer an encouraging word for them. And what might that encouraging word include? 
Well, it would include this, that the one who vindicates us is near. The one who's going to make things right for us is coming. The one who vindicates us is not only coming near to us, but he has promised to stand with us to help us endure the trials and the tribulations and the temptations and the tragedies of this life. And this one who vindicates us and who stands with us also shows us the way. The way of truth, the way of grace, and the way to communicate with others in their times of need. And we know that it's Jesus Christ who ultimately is the one who's vindicated us because he himself has been vindicated by his Father in heaven because of his resurrection from the dead. And friends, that is enough for us in this life. Even when it seems like sometimes it's not. It is enough for us in this life as we wait that life to come. This life with its terrorist attacks upon our nation. This life with its pandemic for our global population. This life with its politics that attempts to pick us apart and tear us away from each other. This servant of God, Jesus Christ, calls us to listen to the word of the Lord, learn from our struggles, and trust in the Lord for our future. And then the prophet concludes with these words. Verse 10. Who among you trusts the Lord and obeys the word of his servant? Let the one who walks in the dark, who has no light, trust in the name of the Lord and rely on their God. Even in the midst of such tragedies, Lord, may that be us. And by the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship and connection of his Holy Spirit. May we together be a people who can not only withstand tragedies when they strike, but also offer a word to the weary and encourage them in their lives. Even on a September day, come what may. And all God's people said, amen.